Welcome to The Good Divorce Show, where we can help you learn how to navigate the journey of divorce with less conflict, less debt, and equip you not to just get divorced, but also learn how to be divorced. Your host, certified divorce coach Karen McNenny, shares her wealth of knowledge, gets advice from other relationship experts, and interviews couples who learn how to have a good divorce, so you can too. Now here's your host, Karen. Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining me today for a little coffee talk with Coach Karen. And this is going to be a little bit of a rambling episode. I have been receiving lots of questions from listeners and clients, so I am just going to share with you some of the best practices, insights, and support that have been occurring to me these last few months and package them all together into the random show. Um, Starting with this idea, uh, one listener posed the question, I'm having a really hard time coming to terms with my divorce not because of the decision that my spouse and I have made, but because of all the judgment from friends, family, coworkers, and the public in general. How do I work through the stigma? That is a great question, listener. And I'm sorry that we even have to ask this question. It is unfortunate that divorce has been wrapped up in this blanket of shame, And when we start to feel the shame, we go into the cave of shame, which means that we are creating more isolation in our life during a time when we actually need more support. So if if you are listening to me today and you're on the outside of the divorce, I want to remind you to go knock on the door of the cave because there very well may be someone in there in isolation hurting and feeling self-loathing, despair, I'm a failure, I've done this to myself, and they're just digging themselves into a hole. Bring them out. You don't even have to talk about the divorce. Just be present to them. Be a witness. Show up. And if you are the person inside the cave of shame, I am here to tell you, you are not broken And you do not have to carry the identity of this divorce process through your life. Again, we have put so much judgment that divorce is a sign of failure. Now, I like to be a spin doctor. I'm going to just own it. I believe that coming to the recognition that a relationship is complete that it has reached its expiration date, that the shelf life has um, shown uh, it's time to take it off the shelf, that that is not necessarily a sign of failure. I would even argue it's a sign of wisdom. And we, we live in a culture where we... Or, you know, we celebrate change for people. We give permission for change. You can change your job, change your hairstyle, change your route to work, change up, up your exercise routine. Like we give so much permission to make change in our life, except around this one topic. And I know that there are probably listeners today who 
are, would absolutely come toe to toe and argue with me that there is a sanctity of marriage and a commitment that has been made that we should under no circumstances undo that. Listeners, those of you who are rooted deeply in a spiritual conviction in your life, I celebrate that for you. And I also don't want you to be held hostage to it at the expense of your own health and wellness, to the well-being of the family. And I know that there are spiritual practices that absolutely mandate under no circumstances shall you ever break the commitment of marriage. But we all evolve and change and grow over time. And again, there's lots of permission for us to do that in other parts of our life. And yet this marital construct can hold us hostage in a situation that is no longer serving us. So we first have to give ourselves permission to release the shame of divorce. And, and it may linger for some time. I get that. However, you are the master of your own story. And so the story that you tell others is one that you are writing with your spiritual community, with your community of family members. And I know there's family members out there who will absolutely bring the shroud of shame to you and you can refuse it. You can re-educate those people in your life and let them know that this is an informed decision. It is a mutual decision, hopefully. Uh, eventually, maybe is the right answer, because typically there is one person who is leaving the relationship and one person who is feeling left. And as I've discussed before <clears throat> on the podcast, those are two different experiences. And the emotional um, experience of that departure looks very different when you are the one who has been packing your bags, preparing your heart for leaving, and those who feel like this has been thrust upon them. More often than not, both members of the relationship have seen it coming for some time. It, it's very rare that this is an out of the blue, bomb dropping, had no idea oh my gosh, we're living in bliss. And now all of a sudden <clears throat> there's this, which isn't to say that there's not big surprises that come along the way, but I'm here to help us all release part of the stigma around divorce. So a few things that you can do for yourself as you are contemplating divorce, find those judgment-free friends and family members so that you're not standing in a river of isolation especially when we really need support. We need a shoulder to cry on. We need happy distractions. We need individuals to process out loud. And, and certainly there are professionals like myself and mental health professionals who can provide that space. But it's also important that you identify people inside your personal life as well that you can lean on and that they will be there for you. I would also like to recommend that you think about communicating transparently with coworkers or uh, the person that you report to at work. <clears throat> Some of you have heard me speak before about the need for change in HR policies, our Family and Medical Leave Act, 
and the importance of identifying divorce as a crisis experience for most people, um, or a significant life-changing experience at the very least. You know, FMLA shows up in our work policies around death of a spouse. Um, we've um, have a new baby. We've adopted. Maybe we've given a child up for adoption. We are caring for an elderly parent. We're going through a grief cycle. Well, divorce, honestly, is one of the same. And I know for myself and certainly for my clients, an individual going through divorce, um, they are probably not performing at their highest. And even if you don't have a workplace policy to accommodate flexibility and support for individuals going through divorce, if you are in a leadership position, if you have influence in your workplace, I would hope that you would find a path to support these individuals. And again, those of you going through divorce, to a certain degree, you're going to need to advocate for yourself. And by bringing this to your coworkers, your team, your boss's attention, it allows them to honestly cut you a little slack, to understand that you're going through a difficult time, to know that there's going to be emotional hijackings, and days where you're so distracted that you cannot perform all of your workplace duties. And some of you spend that time at a desk. Others of you spend that in contact with other individuals or heavy equipment or patients or clients. We also want to make sure the workplace is safe and the people inside that work environment are safe. So giving accommodation and recognition to those going through divorce is one of those things that's really going to help um, around stigma and shame. And for the time being, those of you going through divorce, you may be leading the charge on that. And over time, we all begin to change the narrative of divorce, that it does not have to be despair. It does not have to be destructive. It can be dignified and compassionate and one might even say, good. Which brings me to this next listener question. I'm feeling a lot of guilt recently because now that we've started the divorce process and we've moved into separate homes, I'm pretty damn excited about my new future. And even though there's days that feel terrible, I also am looking forward to the future is this a bad feeling, Coach Karen? Well, this is an unspoken truth for most of us that have gone through divorce. There is, I might even, I, I've heard it referred to as kind of the divorce honeymoon stage. I have coined the phrase the divorgasmic era, and it is that period of time where you start to feel the excitement of getting through what has for most of us been a really challenging time of maybe it's lots of marital therapy and individual counseling. Maybe it's just day-to-day <clears throat> -day relationship that is fraught with arguments and um, tension and then you finally get into two homes or you finally have made the decision or maybe you've signed the paperwork and you are free 
And a couple of things start to happen. And one is that you're your external energy is is going to change. Like people are going to notice and even the vibe, if I can use that word, that you're putting out might start to shift. And this is connected to when and how we choose to start engaging in new relationships. Because honestly, that's part of the excitement is the idea that you know, maybe you were married to your high school sweetheart and you have 50 years under your belt together or 30 years or even 10. And again, we don't get married with the intention that, oh, I'm probably going to get divorced at some point. But suddenly we find ourselves with the proposition of, I might be dating and and sleeping with or making out in the back seat with someone. Like there's some excitement and anticipation. There might also be fear and loathing about that. It, that's probably going to come in different stages as well. It is natural. This time of reinvention can be embraced and not denied. What what I want to say overall is that all the feelings you're having, and, and my listener who sent this question in, like, is this a bad feeling? Should I not be feeling this way? I will never deny anyone their feelings, and nor should you. Our feelings are belong to us. And they don't lie. We feel what we feel. And then our rational brain gets very involved and we try to talk ourselves in and out of things. But the feeling comes first. And you've heard me say it before, your emotional self during the journey of divorce is going to feel a bit like a ping pong ball in a shoebox. You're going to be all over the place. And you never know when that shoebox is going to get bumped shaken, stirred, or settled. It comes with instability for the most part. So back to this divorgasmic stage and the vibe that you're spending sending out and the who and when and how to date. I always try to encourage my couples <clears throat> when we're moving through the process to be very explicit about this. Generally speaking, ambiguity in any of your divorce process, your post-divorce story, it's going to lead to trouble and trouble leads to harm. And here at The Good Divorce, we are always invested in do no more harm, which includes during the divorce process and not lingering in it because the longer you linger in it, you create more opportunities to do damage to your future relationship. And that's really what we're protecting is the future relationship. Now, if you don't have kids and you're moving away and you can just sever ties forever, great, good on you. I celebrate that. How fortunate. Most of us, that's not the journey we're on. We are entangled by family, children, grandchildren, businesses, shared friends, community. Who knows what the thread between you may be? Regardless, just as a social activist who is committed to world peace, I don't like sending anyone out there with new enemies. Let us not be enemies with the person that we fell in love with and chose to marry. You don't have to be best buddies. You don't even have to be friends. But at the very least, let's avoid enemy territory. And one of the things that can trigger is when people start dating. And there are a lot of different opinions about when and how we should be dating through this process. Let's consider it sort of the barn doors opening. 
And again, being explicit is probably going to be better. So I navigate a mediated conversation with the couples that I guide around where is the starting gate for dating other people, for getting online, for opening up an account on one of the dating apps, for changing your status on your social media accounts. And I would suggest that there is there is no right or wrong. It's about agreement so that people don't get hurt. Like there's already been enough damage. There is a lot of pain that comes with the decision. So here are a few things to consider. Does the, the do the doors of dating open at the moment you declare, okay, we're getting a divorce. We're free. Well, you might still be cohabitating together. You maybe haven't even created a new parenting plan. Your money might still be entangled. So those are things to take into consideration, which then takes us to the next threshold. Okay, well, maybe when we move into two locations, the dating door opens up. And is that dating or is, right? Like, does that mean everything? Well, I'm going to just not even go into that one. Dating might mean different things for different people, um, which is appropriate. Is it all the way to, oh, um, you're not free to date, Missy or Mr., until the divorce is finalized. The day we walk out of the courthouse or those papers are filed. And, you know, there's different thresholds in between there. The danger is that if it hasn't been agreed to, that we stumble into something that we didn't anticipate. And and this is the vibe where your energy changes. Maybe you've taken off your wedding ring. You're living alone and you're just going on about your life. And while you're shopping for produce at the grocery store, someone starts to flirt with you. And you actually notice it in this way and your energy is different and you're open to it. You might even have that feeling of like looking over your shoulder. Like, is this okay? Is this, I didn't invite this, but the reality is you've changed. You are not in the same committed relationship. You are looking forward into your life and, you know, produce leads to phone numbers, leads to let's go for a walk, let's grab dinner. Would you like to come over? One thing leads to another, another. And before you know it, you've got yourself entangled either in a a hot um, tryst or the beginnings of a new relationship or a train wreck. Who knows? It can show up in lots of different ways. But you need to be aware that you very well might intersect with someone who's responding to you differently. And oh my gosh, it can feel amazing. Let's just talk about self-esteem for a moment and the toll that divorce takes on our self-esteem, right? We already talked about the shame. I'm a failure. My marriage is dissolved. I'm going to destroy my children, right? All of the standard, typical negative narrative that come about um, the broken home, broken children, which if you've been following along with the good divorce show, 
we know there are other options. There are beautiful outcomes that are possible for you. However, when you start getting new positive attention um, in a way that maybe has been absent from your relationship, someone, your, your marital relationship, um, there's flirtation, there's admiration. It might even just be professionally. It can be such like a balm of self-esteem boosting. And, and we find we're really hungry for it. Sometimes you don't even know that, that you were starving until you begin to receive these morsels of attention again. And this is a cautionary tale because you don't want to binge, right? Do not overindulge, but notice it, take it in. And again, I'm going to give you permission. It's okay to feel those pleasures. It's okay to recognize I've been starving and I want to be nourished in this way again. Now, that can lead to what we're going to refer to inside this divorgasmic stage of of dating and coming out of the divorce and the honeymoon period and new excitement and feeling good about yourself, this glow up phase. And you've probably heard the phrase, it's the divorce diet. Now, it's probably driven by despair, um, inability to eat, Uh, that isolation and pounds just start coming off of us, which is not the healthiest way, right, for our metabolism and our body to lose weight when it's in kind of a a place of depression and despair. Um, Nourish yourself. And it might also then trigger the, you know, I've been wanting to go to the gym. I'm going to start running again. And our self-esteem starts to be fed from the inside out. We're losing weight. We're getting in shape. We're going back to school. We're re-engaging with friendships and um, maybe community organizations. We suddenly are starting to see a part of ourself that maybe was dormant or eclipsed inside the marriage. And there is, not to be underestimated, There is an extraordinary period of redefining the self and who we want to be. And, you know, there's many of us, again, who our identity for a long time has been as spouse. I go to events with spouse. We celebrate all the events together. We show up. People ask me, you know, always about my spouse. So there's, it's almost, I've referred to it before as, um, like a phantom pain that you get used to interfacing with the public, your public life, um, without it being in definition of that relationship and, and not through the eyes of being in a couple. That's an adjustment period. Give yourself permission to notice it, feel uncomfortable in it, work around it, and re-identify to your own self. In many ways, it's like we go back to dating ourselves and redefining. And if you've been a parent, you know, that's a big shift too. You're moving from a full-time parent in some fashion, at least identifying that way, to a part-time parent. And there are some of us who delight 
in the freedom of a part-time parenting life. Or we are so delighted that now our other partner, our our co-parent, we actually have a co-parent, like a legit co-parent committing to 50 or 60 or 40, whatever the arrangement and the parenting plan ends up being. And which brings me to another question. I'm going to do one more before we take a break. Karen, I find myself looking in at friends who are divorced and having a feeling of envy. They're dating again. They have all this free time. They go on trips for friends. They have a super solid co-parent. I want what they have. And I've never thought about divorcing my spouse. But as I look at some of the joy of other people, it reminds me that my marriage has been strained for a long time. Is divorce envy attractive or am I being a terrible person? Oh boy, divorce envy. It's a real thing. It is a real thing. And I don't think that we notice it. I don't think that this is a feeling that just comes like, oh, I'm in a totally happy marriage and we're solid. And, you know, we've got our usual ups and downs as a couple, but, you know, overall we're really, we're really stable and I'm devoted. And then I see a divorced couple. And I'm like, Ooh, something there looks really good. No, it's, if there is a crack in the door, this will start to weave its way in. And the next thing that happens, not only do you have the feelings of, you know, the divorce envy, like, boy, they've figured it out. They're on the other side. They're stable. They're happy. They're balanced. You also begin to wonder, hmm, maybe, just maybe, I might ask them how did you come to your decision of divorce or mm, how do you do your parenting plan transition? Well, how are the kids, right? You start to become an investigator of divorce. I certainly was that person because again, we sit with our truth long before we speak it. And so, you know, it's a little like, where's Waldo? As soon as you go looking for Waldo, you're going to be finding Waldo. As soon as you decide you're going to buy a minivan, you see minivans everywhere. As soon as you start thinking about divorce as a possibility, you start to notice other people's divorces. And then you start having conversations with them about divorce, kind of on the sly at first, right? Not really wanting to say like, well, it's it's not me. I'm just curious about how you all handled this or how did you separate the business or how are you doing financially? All of that is a sign. And <laughs> when I'm on the receiving end of that, when people are asking me, uh, certainly before I became a divorce coach, I mean, now people ask me all the time about divorce, but even previous to that, just over lunch, having a dog walk with friends, running into individuals at networking events, they might bring up the topic of divorce as it relates to me. But what I've come to recognize is they're really collecting information about what this might look like beforehand, which is part of why I have launched this podcast so that in a safe, private, Um, vulnerable way, we can hear some stories of how it's done well. We can hear from the experts. 
knowing that there's a lot of steps before calling a divorce. You can investigate and explore the possibility of divorce for you and your family without calling a lawyer. And I hope that that's part of what's happening for someone out there today who maybe has not said it out loud yet, who has not had the conversation with their spouse, but who is quietly inside their own heart wondering, is divorce right for us? Can we do it without destruction? Can I be happier on the other side of this experience? I hope that you will find some answers with me. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation today, responding to listener questions and what is coming up for each and every one of you out there, my listeners, my partners in this journey. Please stay tuned. I'm Karen McNinney, your good divorce coach, back with more questions from our listeners. Stay tuned. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you thinking about getting divorced? Before you call a lawyer, call the good divorce coach, Karen McNenny, a certified divorce counselor, co-parenting specialist, and mediator. Karen's signature good divorce experience will guide you through your divorce journey from the day you make that difficult decision to the day the decree is signed, all for a predictable fee. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to get divorced and be divorced with less conflict and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for staying with me today. It is Coffee Talk with Coach Karen, and I am answering some questions that have come to me from clients, other listeners, and just some situations that I continue to see with the couples that I'm supporting. And um, we were chatting a little bit, and I think I got off on a tangent because, well, that's frankly what I do. We were talking about the dating decorum and etiquette before, during, and after um, the divorce process. And and so again, reminding you, try to be explicit with each other of when that door opens so that everybody knows like, okay, we, we've moved out. It might be months and months and months before we're actually divorced, but I no longer have the expectation that we are in a uh, committed monogamous relationship with each other. Uh, oftentimes, the couples I meet, that they haven't even been in an intimate relationship, sometimes for years by the time they get to this threshold, or they don't even share a bedroom anymore. So they've already moved into roommate mode or non-marital, um, well, you know, not the usual marital activities. So, but dating and seeing your soon-to-be ex-spouse with someone else or finding out that they're online um, can be a shock and it can hurt again. And the irony is, is it's not even necessarily like, oh, 
I want them back. Oh, I don't want them to go be with someone else. You're very clear. Like, no, I, I do not want to be in relationship with them. I'm just not ready for them to be in relationship with someone else. There is something tender about the heart. And I always think that it's appropriate and thoughtful that there be, you know, a stretch of time that just honors the separation and that we're not just hopping from one pot to another. Something about that that can be a little bit um, souring. And, And frankly, if you have decided to open your dating doors while you're still in the divorce process, my general rule of thumb is don't ask, don't tell. Okay. We're in agreement that it can happen, but don't ask questions you don't want answers to. And don't go flaunting your new relationship. It can do damage to your divorce relationship, which again, you are still in relationship with this person. So this is when we talk about the distinction between being deceptive and being discreet. I'm not a fan of deception, generally doesn't work, keeping secrets. It erodes our own um, soul from the inside out. But discretion has high value at this time, particularly if, let's say, you take up a relationship with someone that you've known during the marriage. Or mm, the real lightning rod is, let's say, that there was infidelity during the marriage. That relationship is set aside. You carry on in the marriage and then go back to that person and start that relationship up again. It just is lemon in the wound, salt in the wound, lemon in the wound. It all sounds terrible. Um, And I'm not saying that might not be the right relationship for you. I'm just saying be really thoughtful and try to be patient. I know this orgasmic era just gets us going. And sometimes we just want to leap in and it feels so damn good to be wanted and desired and to have want and desire for someone. Like it literally is this emotional hijacking of oxytocin and all the love drugs and we can just get swept up in it. Try to hold some boundaries for yourself and just get through the divorce so that more damage and hurt feelings doesn't happen. And once the divorce is final and, you know, down the road, and I think whether you're in the midst of it or it's post, um, particularly down the road, if you have children and, and you're going to be dating and starting a new relationship, you know, my recommendation always is, and some people choose to put it in their parenting plan that no new partner is introduced to the children short of six months um, to make sure that the relationship is solid and standard and that we don't have swinging doors of people coming in and out of our children's lives. And that changes depending on their stage of life. Um, It's very different for a five-year-old who's building attachments to adults than a 15-year-old who no longer even cares about the adults in their life. Not to say that we ever should ignore it. We just need to take into context what stage of development our children are in. I would also suggest as a courtesy, and it is appropriate to be courteous to your former spouse as you would be to anyone else in your life, a coworker, a stranger in the parking lot, your neighbor, your friends. 
let's put our former spouse in the same category as all these other people that we come in contact with on a regular basis. And the courteous act is to let them know, I've been dating someone for this period of time. It's becoming more serious and I'm looking to introduce the kids. And here is who they are and what they're about. I'm not asking for your permission, right? This is an information, not an affirmation communication. Do you get all that? And it allows A, for your former spouse to just come to terms, not be taken by surprise in the grocery store, hearing about it from someone else, that life shock moment that can send us into a tailspin. It's just a courtesy. Let them know. It also provides the other spouse with information so that if the kids start talking about this new relationship or this new person, you're in a position as an informed co-parent to actually hold those conversations, not talk about the new couple, but to find an appropriate way to just process that with your children. And maybe we'll have to do a show on that in the future. Um, I want to go to another question. Dear Coach Karen, our divorce is complete. And even the day we took the paperwork to the courthouse, we were both still wearing our rings. I don't know what to do with mine. We never talked about taking them off. I feel a little paralyzed around this ritual. Well, dear ring bearer, um, this is... I'm really glad this question came in. I think we underestimate the symbolism of the ring. And again, kind of like, when is it okay to start dating? When do we take our rings off? Oh, they took their ring off. Well, I didn't know they were taking their ring off. Well, should I have taken my ring off? Oh, I'm taking my ring off three years ago. It's going to be different for every couple. The thing I'm always encouraging is consciousness. Be conscious about the undoing of this ritual for yourself, even if you don't do it together. But again, it can be a courteous um, act. I I tend to bring it up with couples because it can be really delicate to bring it up to each other. And so we'll talk about it early on. And again, my preference is always to get a couple on board as soon as the divorce train's headed out of the station. And then we'll discuss, well, if we're still being discreet, we haven't told our kids, we haven't told our family members or people at work, then maybe we're keeping our rings on until we're ready to go public, if you will. And then maybe the rings come off. Some people who might be a little more old school or traditional, or it might be connected to the sacredness of their spiritual path, they keep their rings on up until the papers are finalized, signed, and filed. And then had one couple, we talked about doing a ritual. We had an unmarrying ceremony and they were in a position where they could do that. And it was tearful and it was heartfelt. It was meaningful. And then they had chose that they were going to take their rings together to a body of water where they lived near and just throw them into that body of water to wash away the past and make room for the future. Not everybody is up for that sort of commitment and connection with their former spouse, but it was a a really beautiful ritual. Others identify 
yes, we're, we're both ready to release our rings and, and they'll do it in their own way. And whatever comes of the ring comes of the ring. I had one couple fighting over the rings. Well, I bought that set for you. Well, I bought that set for you. Well, it should be in the marital estate and some rings are worth a lot of money. So there might be a different kind of negotiation when it comes to the jewelry of the marriage, including those rings. But I think having some sort of intentional conversation about it can just be beneficial and thoughtful. So to that end, here's another related question. Dear Coach Karen, now that we're divorced, I'm not quite sure if I should be sending a Christmas card to my former spouse. Do I have to acknowledge their birthday? When do I show kindness and when do I just disappear into the shadows? Not sure what to do going forward. I don't want to be rude, but I don't want to stay entangled. Great question. And not unlike the rings and all the other parts of our divorce process, don't rest on ambiguity. Let's be clear and have a conversation about it. And it might be delicate, which is when a divorce coach can be really helpful to navigate that. And again, my mantra, I don't just help you get divorced. I help you know how to be divorced. So that is the future relationship. For those of you with children, the marriage is ending. The relationship probably isn't, right? You have a future relationship. You have a forever relationship. So we're renovating it. Typically, when I graduate couples, we make an agreement for those without children in particular, or you have adult children. Now, those of you with kids that are still school age, you're going to be in contact all the time because you're negotiating day-to-day schedules, activities, oh, the gear, the gear, the gear, all their belongings, et cetera. But let's just imagine for a moment, those of you that might be older in life, your children are already adults or you didn't have children at all. I like to recommend a 40-day, 40-night sabbatical from each other for a minimum of 40 days and 40 nights. There is no expectation or obligation for communication. Okay. So that if during that period of time, there's a holiday, a birthday, a special moment that maybe it's your wedding anniversary, there is no expectation that the other person should or shouldn't be um, reaching out to you or an obligation to reciprocate. And it just lets you both off the hook. It gives you both permission to step away and to again, in the spirit of sabbatical, to purge that connection. And something happens during, you know, the passage of time. And I really do believe that time is this extraordinary elixir that nothing else can replace. And there is transformation that takes place organically just through that passage of time. And I recently graduated one couple, and at the time of this recording, we're headed into the holiday season of November and December, which is always really loaded and brings melancholy, and it's complicated, and it's old traditions colliding with new traditions and being really sensitive about how to navigate that, and not just the first year, but for the first several years, honestly. And we were talking about 40 days and 40 nights, and then one of the spouses said, well, 
that kind of gets us to the middle of December. But if we just made this agreement to the beginning of the new year, then that would kind of get us through the holidays and it would just let us off the hook for all of that. And we could just go our separate ways and know that there's kindness in our heart, but we don't have to engage. And so that was their agreement outside of, and this is the caveat, some kind of sentinel event or crisis. So think about, you know, if you shared pets and one of the pets got sick, or if you shared, you know, children, you're going to be in conversation all the time, or, or one of you, your health went poorly, or, or maybe it's an in-law, a grandparent, um, that got sick that, you know, that your former spouse would want to receive that information. And honestly, we're grown up enough to know what should be shared and what doesn't need to be shared. And in the event of one of those big announcements, by all means, reach out to your spouse, your former spouse, and share that information with them. Um, but outside of that, the day-to-day niceties, how was your trip? Happy holidays. I know this is our anniversary and typically I would be doing this or that for you. It just gets complicated and it's hard to navigate. So I just say, take the off-ramp, let yourself off the hook unless there's a crisis event. You might also consider, again, if you're beyond the parenting stage of your relationship, you might need a whole year sabbatical, like all the year of firsts of birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, um, significant events that we just need a year apart, apart where there is no expectation or obligation to each other. And we're both in agreement with that, again, outside of major events, because things will come up and you will second guess yourself and wondering, how do I behave in this moment? And for those of you with children, as always, I hope that the communication is constant, or should I say consistent, so that there are not surprises. Okay. So think about some of that after. I'm just looking back to see, we've got one other question today with our listener uh, call in. Karen, dear coach Karen, I'm having a really hard time re-identifying as a single person. I don't want to date. I don't want to get back into a new relationship, but honestly, the loneliness and the isolation is starting to erode my soul. Oh boy. I hear you on that one. This goes back to a little bit of what we were talking about earlier in the show. It's going to be important for you to plant your own garden. So that looks like making plans for yourself, like maybe long-term plans. Um, Make sure you've got plans for the holidays, whether that be Christmas, Thanksgiving, Valentine's Day. Get a distraction, make plans with friends, leave your usual environment, and know that it doesn't necessarily take money in order to change things up. I also want you to take some time, and this is something that I do with my clients inside the couple. I do one-on-one sort of life and career coaching, if that is what's in need. So we might be thinking about, well, when you were single, before you identified through this relationship, what was important to you? What were your hobbies and interests? What are your new hobbies and interests? What 
classes might you take? What organizations might you join so that you are building a group and a community, and especially you introverts out there where you can feel pretty comfortable in your silent solo time, but having contact with other humans and having a sense of belonging to a community is essential for all of us. So please go back and in that spirit of dating yourself, give yourself permission. You might even need to write yourself a permission slip. I'm going to go explore new things. I'm going to take a night class. I'm going to join a writing group. I'm going to take a pottery class. I'm going to find, uh, you know, the meetup groups on online that are, I don't know, a quilting club to a hiking club. I'm going to take a vacation, but I'm going to actually do it through a travel agent where there's another group of singles or individuals or couples so that I'm not just identifying as that solo person and that if it's wearing away at your soul, the shift that we are trying to make is those difficult feelings of, I am lonely <clears throat> and shifting that to, I am alone and I can be content in my aloneness. Okay. We've got time for one more question, which again, as I record this, we're headed into the holidays. So this seems really timely. Dear coach, Karen, we have a young adult children. So they've been coming and going back and forth from college. Not everyone is launched. Some of them are at home. Some of them are working and we are going through our first year of holidays. We're not quite sure how to negotiate that with our kids or even what our responsibility is as parents. Great question. I have very strong feelings about divorcing when you have young adult children, children that are in the midst of launching and reminding you that adolescence, technically, biologically, that executive function, the frontal cortex of our brain is not fully formed and online until about age 25. So we have this cultural norm that, oh, they're 18, they're adults, they're on their own, they can make their own decisions. Well, yes and no. How many 18-year-olds do you know are paying their own mortgage, have a job, are in a solid relationship and take care of all of their own needs? I don't know a lot. And I'm not dissing on that. 18 to 25 is the seven-year period where they are figuring out how to do all those things for themselves. So if you don't have a history of divorce before your children turned 18 and started to launch beyond your home, you still need to create a framework for them. <clears throat> Otherwise, it might go like this. Thanksgiving break is coming up. Children are all off living on their own or they're at college and two newly divorced parents are like, ooh, I'm going to go to Hawaii for Thanksgiving. And the other one's like, yeah, and I got to go visit my aging parents in Texas. So I'm out. And they haven't talked to each other. There's been no communication to the kids. And the kids are kind of left hanging like, wait a minute, where do I go for Thanksgiving? And the two parents are like, well, I thought you were staying over. I thought you were staying over. The parents still need to get together and, and make a plan at least make some agreements and then communicate that to your children. And my big warning is do not leave it to your children to choose between you, especially if you're in the first year of this new dynamic. For most of us, 
that is a terrible burden as a child to feel like you have to choose between your parents. Like, well, I'm going to be here. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And there's a no-win situation. If you know that there is a choice and you want individual time with both your kids, then you craft an arrangement. Hey, I'm going to do an early uh, Thanksgiving with the my parents. So if you want to join me and mommy and pappy for our Thanksgiving dinner, that's going to be Thursday night and we'd love to have you. Or Wednesday night. I guess Thanksgiving's always on a Thursday. And then maybe it's with the other grandparents on the Thursday. But you as parents are coordinating those nuances so that the child can just fit in. And again, it's orchestrated for them in a framework that doesn't make them have to start negotiating the decisions of adults in and around the holidays or coming home in the summer, or I have a long break over the holidays and the dorms are closed. Where's my new home? Where's all my stuff? Do I see both of you during that break? Where do I sleep? These are still questions that need to be answered and navigated with your children. Do not leave it to your young adult children to navigate your divorce. Well, listeners, believe it or not, our time is up today. I am Coach Karen. I love receiving questions from uh, listeners, as well as bringing you information right from the Living Laboratory of Guiding Couples Through Divorce. You can find me online at thegooddivorcecoach.com. And The Good Divorce Show can be found on all of your popular podcast platforms. I hope that you will continue to tune in, gather information, share this podcast with others who might be facing their own journey of divorce. And remember, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening. Do you have questions or thoughts about this week's episode? Let us know by following The Good Divorce Coach on Facebook and Instagram at Good Divorce Coach. And leave a comment. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific or listen anytime wherever you get your podcasts.